And you can grab a seat. Well, thank you, worship team. That was an oldie but a goodie. Well, today we are finishing the book of Romans. Hey! So, uh, not quite the confetti canon of Easter, but still accomplished the same idea. Well, here uh, this morning we're in chapter 16 and just finishing uh, up in the second half of that chapter. Thinking about our title this morning of final instructions, and I, to some degree, had some final instructions this last week. My wife was going away to a conference and leaving me with the kids. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, but to me, that is a big deal. And uh, so I made sure that she outlined, here I put it on the screen here, outlined the week as to all the things... Specifically, I tried to play it cool, like, you know, I'll be all right, and I kind of like set the list down, but as soon as she left, I'm like holding this like the Bible, you know, like, okay, what, what am I supposed to do? You see, swim, and that's not me. Flutophone practice, you don't want to miss that. Um, uh, my son does. Uh, piano, you can see that. Well, my wife checks in with me on Wednesday evening, just to see how things are going. We're doing the FaceTime thing. Anybody else hate looking at yourself on FaceTime? Um, so we're doing the FaceTime thing, and she notices Sienna off in the distance, and she's like, Sienna's looking kind of ratty, and she asks this simple question, have they had any showers since Saturday night? Now, you guys see the list right in front of you, just like I did. Do you see bath or shower time mentioned anywhere on there? So I plead my case before you, uh, so... The, so from Saturday night to Wednesday night, but they swim, you know, that counts, doesn't it? So anyway, often when you're looking through, I don't know if there's any other list people, but usually the things that are on especially a final list, you're wanting to especially pay attention to. And I think Paul knew that when he's writing this letter. He recognized that we have a tendency, the way our, our mind works is to remember the last thing that's spoken about, right? Think about even playing that out from last week's sermon. You probably don't remember much of anything that I said except the invitation to hug people. So you remember at the last thing there, I said, greet each other with a, a holy kiss. And I said, since we don't feel comfortable with that, we maybe move towards hugs. Well, I went outside after the service, and there, it was a hug fest here. It was fun seeing everybody actually remembered and applied that. But here this morning, Paul has some real specific things in his last few sentences, if you will, for us to remember, and I would propose that they're great, a great blend of warning, of encouragement, of challenge, of greeting, and so we'll dive into that just after I pray. God, thank you so much for this series, and what a, a blessing it's been, I know for myself personally, just to work through, and so many wonderful truths about who you are, what you've established for us, the life that you've called us to live, set apart. Pray this morning, just as we wrap this up, that we wouldn't start to check out already early, but we'd really uh, hone in and pay attention because I'm confident that you have words for us this morning that are relevant for our lives. I ask that you would speak to us directly, that you'd meet us in our place of need like only uh, you can. We invite your spirit to work even in this room now. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So chapter 16, we're in verse 17. And uh, we're going to see some different components to this uh, last section, but the first component we're going to see is a bit of a, a warning. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles 
contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, he says. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Here's a real specific warnings in those couple verses there. I don't know if you recognize this, but really part of our display of love to someone is to make sure that we caution them about things that we're concerned about. That's kind of the way uh, human nature works, and we, if you're a parent, you recognize this. I, I grew up, and my dad had some very specific warnings that he gave us on a regular basis. I don't know if your parents had specific ones. One of them was this, was to make sure you kept your money in a safe place. My dad always would say that if we had money. Oh, I see the money sitting out on the, on the counter. Make sure you put that in a safe place. So we knew to keep our money because you don't want to lose your money, right? Now, another one he'd, he'd regularly say, make sure you wear shoes so you don't stub your toes. It's important wisdom, right? You know, if anybody's had a bad a toe stub, you, want, you guys are listening like these are important things to learn. Uh, the, the third one, being in Chicago, you can from Chicago in the Midwest, you relate with this a little bit more, but when we'd go out to play in the snow was, don't eat the, what color snow? Yellow snow. This is important information for those in the Midwest. And then one of my personal favorites, with that, which I think scars every kid, is don't, when you're going to sleep, he'd say, don't let the bed bugs bite. For a kid, that's real confusing, though. If you think about it, you're like, first off, that's new information that there's bugs in the bed. And then the second piece, that there's never any instruction of, how do I keep them from biting? You know, like a lot of confusion in that one, but valuable reminders and warnings. Well, in our text this morning, it's probably a little bit more serious, hopefully, than some of these, but he gives some real specific things to watch out for. And what do you notice he does? He says that he... Uh, appeals to them. Another word might be, rather than appeal, might be to beg or to urge. Some of us with adult children, we recognize we're out of the season of life where you give directives, you start giving counsel, and when you're giving counsel, all you can do is urge or plead with them with your counsel, but they're free to decide what they do with that counsel. I'd propose that a wise person receives counsel. That's what Proverbs says. Well, here in our, our, our text, he's appealing to them or pleading with them to do what? To watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. It says to avoid them. In other words, watch out for people that will deceive you. People that will deceive you. That's the caution that he gives. And at first, it's kind of like the bug, bug bites. You're like, uh, you're like, well, well, what do I know to look for? Should I be inspecting? Well, here in this context, a, there's some real specific things that he points to as identifiers of people that deceive us. Because if you think about it, the greatest harm to believers is to undermine God's truth by which they live. If you take away the truth foundation, you're like, oh man, you leave them real susceptible to a lot. And so that's what our enemy does, is he tries to attack us at our point of, of truth, our truth source, if you will. He identifies some of the specific things to look for. The person that deceives causes division, it says. 
think about that for a moment, the person that causes division, it's not talking about just about disputable things within doctrine, like there's some things that are uh, up for debate and conversation, but he's talking about the, the core foundational truths that are in God's Word, and he says you have to be careful that you stick to what you've been taught. And in this place, in this circumstance, he's referring to the foundation that's been laid for them, both Old Testament and his writings, which would ultimately, as you know, become the New Testament. This is why each week I try so carefully to stick to God's word faithfully and say, hey, it's not my opinion or what I'm saying. I'm just trying to be a tour guide and walk us through the text as to God's word. It's so important that we stick to what we've been taught. It's pointing to major things to, uh, com- that would compromise our beliefs, such as, you, you can fill in the blank, John talked about them in the big bucket category a few weeks back, the deity of Christ, about Jesus being the one and only way to have a relationship with God restored. You think about heaven and hell. There's so many things that are in that bucket that are like, man, these are non-negotiable. And so often the introduction of compromises is so subtle. I remember at one point having an extended conversation that was somebody was a Jehovah's Witness, and I respect her and understood where she was coming from from a degree. She In the conversation, she was explaining so many things that I'm like, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, you believe in Jesus, you believe. Then we got to the crossroads of who Jesus was. She didn't believe in the deity of Christ. In other words, God in the flesh, she saw him as the son of God, and you and I are sons and daughters of God as well. In other words, human just like you and I are human. Well, you know what? A human, there's lots of good humans that have died for noble causes, but I needed God to come down, the infinite God to come down to pay the sacrifice and the penalty for the sins of mankind. And so those, you see those subtle differences, we need to be on guard against the other one that he points to, a number of them here. They create obstacles. I thought that was interesting, the word create, because create is really what you define of so many of the world's religions today, is it's what's taken on top of what God's word is, says, they create additional things to that, additional obstacles, things that like, yeah, you believe in this. If you think about any of the, the cults of the world, they're typically God's word plus something else or minus something. They either subtract or add to scripture. Think about the, the, the religion of Islam Muhammad that Muhammad created after two angels appeared to him with special revelation where he then wrote the Quran. Or Joseph Smith, who created Mormonism, was also given special revelation by an angel Morani, funny name, where he added to Scripture the Book of Mormon. If you think about that, those are two great examples of something that's being created as additional obstacles. I've got to follow the whole Bible and all of this? Are you kidding me? Talk about insurmountable. Love that Paul warned about this. You might not be familiar with this verse. I thought it was interesting. It says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. It's interesting. Two of the major world religions that we deal with today are because an angel from heaven taught something in addition to Scripture, things to be on guard for. Points to also the person that's satisfying or serving themselves. It describes, the, describes them as somebody that panders to their own appetites. Appetites literally means bellies here. 
You can see the obvious example of this with the televangelist with the private jet that keeps asking for more and more money. You see the, the obvious person, the person that has slicked back hair and kind of constantly looks like they're in motion. But uh, that, that, that person's the obvious, but maybe the less obvious, as I was thinking about that, serve selves. Think about any world religion that deals, that sends the message that you can do this on your own. That appeals to our pride and serves ourselves because in ourselves, we like the idea of we can fix this, we can solve this. See if you can finish this statement. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it. See, it's already sunk in. You see, you see that's a, the truth. I don't know where that originated. Was it Saturday Night Live? Stuart Smalley, that's right. But you think about that. That's really the message that most religions want to tell us. You're good enough. You're smart enough. And doggone it, people like you. You can, in other words, you can do this. You've got this. Just try a little bit harder. Pursue it a little bit more. You can achieve this. And that leads into the next one, which I think parallels it perfectly, the smooth talk and flattery. These people often use that exactly in their technique of, of appealing to human psychology and saying flattery isn't always, you look nice today. Sometimes flattery is exactly what I just described. You can do this. You can achieve this. You flip through any talk show. You just need to work harder. You need to do this. And, and all this is just garbage. We need more people that are telling us, you can't do this. You're not going to make it. You're going to fail today like you did yesterday if you keep doing it. You guys are like, wait a second, what's going on here? If you keep trying to do it on your own, if you keep trying to do it on your own, you can't make it. You can't solve the chasm between you and the perfect God. There needed to be intervention on God's behalf through Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference there? And so he's pointing out all of these cautions, and who do they, they pray on? It says that, praise on the, that pray on the naive, a naive. Someone that's naive is typically someone that doesn't know a whole lot. It's usually you, you kind of appeal to a kid, about a kid, you're like, well, be understanding because they're kind of naive. They haven't experienced life and they, they don't know better. Well, that, that, that's fine with kids. Well, what about adults? It concerns me when I hear about a, a grown a, adult follower of Jesus Christ that's like, you know what? I don't really ever read the Bible. I don't really know that much about it. And, and you're like, oh, you're so susceptible to deception. Do you see that? Do you see why that is? If you don't have, if you're not grounded in a truth source, Man, you're really vulnerable to whatever directions human psychology and everything is going to take you. So he's cautioning us in all of these things, and he tells us how to respond. He doesn't say that we're to try to fight these people or to take them on, and he just says two things, to watch out for them and to avoid them. In other words, identify false or deception and then also resist it, be on, be on guard against it. I think we're so, in such a tolerant co culture that we're like, Oh, well, love says we got to embrace all truth. And, you know, like we get uh, a lot of things are said under the guise of good Christian behavior, but there's nothing wrong with identifying. We should be in the habit of it regular, regularly identifying 
No, that's not true. I saw that commercial. That's not true. I saw this. That's not true. This appeal. That's not true. What he's saying is not true. We need to figure out how to have a biblical filter in place where we're able to identify truth from deception. I thought it was interesting. I was reading one commentary this week. It really caught my attention. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, they have in it, it has these letters that Jesus writes to the different churches in the end times. And in these letters, there's some confrontation and there's some, or, or, or there's some, uh, there's some uh, call to change and then there's some encouragement. I thought it was interesting. You'll read, read it. Actually, we'll put it on the screen here. You can see this in Revelation 2.2. This is something that was complimented of the church in Ephesus. It says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Do you see how he's in that context? He's celebrating that within the church. The body of Christ should be good at being able to identify, what does he say? Cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles. For us, that's an important piece before we start embracing truth is to test them. Is it rooted in God's word? So there, starts with a warning. He moves from there to a little bit lighter side of the letter, a little bit more of encouragement. You're like, good, let's get there. All right, verse 19 says, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. Chad mentioned that. Under your feet, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, when I was reading that this week, there's, I don't know if you're like this when you're reading scripture, there's certain things that kind of cause your hair on your neck to stand up. I can't say hair on my head, uh, but hair on my neck to stand up uh, that, that caught my attention. That was a bit convicting, and it was those four words, I rejoice over you. I rejoice over you. I was thinking about even me just dealing with my, my kids in the parenting. I think it's so often I move to the warning and the instruction and don't do enough rejoicing over the people I care about. You know, we're so quick to say, all right, you should do this. You should do this. Wait, stop doing that. Wait, do this. And what if we did a little better job as a church with each other as parents with our kids of celebrating good stuff that you're seeing in them. Any parents a little bit convicted even as I'm talking right now? Man, we could grow in that area, doing a good job of rejoicing over them, rejoicing, celebrating over the things that God's doing in their lives. What does he celebrate in this, this occasion as he's talking about the church there? He celebrates their obedience, celebrates their obedience. He compliments on that. He says, man, you're, you're even known for that. You're known for your obedience. Find it interesting that if you think about it for a moment, obedience is probably our very best resistance or protection against deceit. Let me explain that for a moment. If you think about it, if you're literally living out God's word, what he describes there as the wise are doing good, if you're literally doing good and you're wise, if you're living that out, it makes us so much less susceptible to deceit because you're like, you know what? I'm tasting and seeing what is good. My cup is full and I'm not as easily tempted by the enemy. 
was talking to a woman at our church that got to visit the homeless ministry a couple of weeks ago with us, and she was just talking about her experience, and she's like, man, this was so good. It felt so good to serve and meet some specific needs there, just like tangible things. And man, felt, it just felt great. Like, it's such a good thing that we're doing there. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about, you know what? When our cup is full with doing the stuff that you know God put in place, all of a sudden, Satan has little to nothing to appeal to us with. You see, most of the things that he offers are things that he's saying, this is going to fill your cup. This is going to satisfy you. This is going to complete you. This is going to this is going to bring you joy. But when that cup is full, when you're when you're living in it, when you're experiencing it, when you're being obedient, you're like, "Sorry, I got no room in the cup." It's like, "Oh man, I got nothing to appeal to." Do you follow what I'm describing here? And so that's the that's the description that he gives there. He's like, "I'm celebrating your obedience." And then he says, "But I want you to be wise as to what is good." and innocent as to what is evil. So we talked about wisdom is knowledge applied. So you know what is good and you're able to do and you're doing it. But then also he points out the second side to that coin, also innocent as to what is evil. Innocent to as to what is evil. Some of us are confused in Christian circles that in order to be relevant in the world around us, that we have to partake and we got to be one of the crowd, you know, hang out and do all the things that everybody else is so we can relate. But so often in Scripture, we're reminded and brought to know we're called to be set apart, to be in the world, but not of the world. That's what he's saying. You don't, you don't have to play with nut mud to know that it's mud. Like you, 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 can, you can come to the conclusion that, yes, I'm aware of it, but I don't have to partake innocent as to what is evil. He moves to a wonderful encouragement there that we've mentioned a couple times already. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I was reading this week, I found it interesting that it speaks of Jesus Christ, the first coming of Jesus Christ in Scripture in the Old Testament 330 times, which is pretty cool to think about. 330 times it talked about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming for those of you that have that friend that's still clinging to the Old Testament, you're like, oh man, let me point to you some of these proofs that pointed and spoke so clearly. Isaiah 53, man, it is so clearly talking about Jesus Christ there. So, so many things in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus' first coming. Here's the second interesting fact, is that in Scripture, His second coming is refer referred to 1,850 times. Woo! That, that, that's serious. It, it's almost like he wanted us to hold on to that and cling to that as hope that, listen, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to get my kids. I'm coming back. I'm not, I'm not abandoning you. I'm coming back to be with you, to take you. Jesus himself referred to as coming back 22 times. He's like, man, I'm coming. I'm making a place that I'm coming back for you. It's an awesome truth. And one of the things that we know is in this encouragement section is when he comes back, what's it say that he's going to do? He's going to crush Satan under our feet. You can read about that yourself in Revelations 20.10. It's going to be a powerful thing. And to me, when I first read this, I'm like, that's kind of confusing. Look at it for a second with me. Verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Usually you don't use in the same sentence, the God of peace 
will crush something under your feet, right? Do you, do you see how those two parallels, you're just like, wait a second, how, do, how does that work? Well, that, that doesn't sound very peaceful, does it? It, it, it sounds, but our understanding of peace is sometimes a bit warped because in God's eyes, sometimes peace doesn't come until the opposition is taken care of. And so he's saying, listen, I will be the God of peace and I'm going to bring peace by crushing the one enemy that's out there that's constantly trying to trip us up. Won't it be so nice when the whole spiritual warfare thing is completely done? When you're just like, man, I no longer have the, the appeals when the decision that I've made is finally concrete and it's settled and dis- determined for eternity. He's saying that's something that we have to look forward to, something that we can cling to and, and have hope that he will ultimately crush. Reading another commentary pointing out the fact that, remember the psalmist and the, what we quote so often, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Have you ever heard that before at a, at a funeral and you're... God, grab comfort in that. You, but stop and think about that for a moment. The, the, the staff is, is the part that, that's got the hook on it, the, the sheep's pulled back in. Guess what the rod is? For beating down the wolves. You know what I mean? That, like we should find comfort in that fact. A good shepherd has both that's also pulling the sheep back, but then also beating down the opposition that's the threat. That's not an excuse to go beat up your neighbor you don't like, but I'm just saying the point being there is that we have got a God that cares about us, that he's ultimately going to bring us that peace that comes from that. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So he ends this section of, of encouragement. Maybe some of us needed to just need, needed that reminder here this morning of hope that's on the horizon. Every day is a day closer to that. In verse 21, then he has a few greetings. I'll point to those. First, it says, Timothy, my fellow worker, we're all familiar with Timothy, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipatar, probably butchered that, my kinsman, <laughs> Iturdius, n- another, another bummer of a name, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you, Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus, the watchmaker, uh, greet you. Uh, so you you think about sorry that was bad. Uh, you think about this. I was reading this. You know, in the last couple of months, I've had a couple opportunities to go to uh, church conferences. One was uh, down south of Los Angeles, and one was uh, closer to uh, Sacramento. And we're up there a couple of weeks ago. The thing that I love about that is going there, and you're there with literally thousands of other church leaders. You get reminded that we're not in this all alone. Sometimes you get this, this little limited perspective in Old Agora, you look around the room and you're like, man, it's just the final few of us left against the whole world. And you know, there, we were talking to a group of people and this, and this, this, this one lady was like, yeah, our, our church, and we're like, she's like, yeah, in our church, uh, we're about 4,000 and then we have like six campuses. And, and I'm like, man, that's awesome. Like finding out when you start to think about it, and how many Christ followers, I think part of the enemy's job is trying to convince us that like, oh, you're just in this alone, man. You got, you got nothing going. Like, you're the weirdo that's still holding on to this old truth. Guess what? There, there's millions of Christ followers out there. You hop on a plane any direction, you get off, and it won't take you long to find a gathering of, of believers somewhere. You start talking to random strangers, and you start realizing, 
Oh, there are How many of you are pleasantly surprised when you find out somebody else was a Christ follower? You're just like, oh, really? You're one too? I thought I was the only one left. And you're like, it's such good news when you start to see when these, even in the, the early church, they're writing from one city to another, and they're like, we're all in this together. We're in this together. And what I also love in that is Paul's not, he's like, I'm not a lone ranger in this. We're doing this together, man. I've got some brothers and sisters in Christ that we're, we're partnering in this ministry together. And if there's one takeaway from this mini section, some of us need to be reminded that it's not a lone ranger sport. That it's not about quickly running into church late and then quickly bolting to your car. We're intended to be in this together. It's intended that we'd support each other and, and lift each other up in this. A couple things to point out in that, that section there. First, it might be a little bit confusing when you first read uh, 22, first to laugh at his name, but it says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. I'm like, wait a second, I thought, I thought Paul wrote this letter. There's a little information, just a little backdrop there. I, thought, I think is neat. In, in Galatians 6.11, Paul talks about this. He says, see what large letters I'm writing to you with. Makes me feel a little bit better as my eyesight, I wear contacts, starts to fade a little bit. It's the most obvious explanation that he'd have a scribe helping him write because the letters start to get a little bit bigger every single year. Anybody else in that boat? Or you're like, I noticed my writing is getting larger and I need the bigger print Bible that's this thick. Uh, but, but here's the, the idea here. Is he, man, he's leaning to people for everything. God, you, some, some theologians propose maybe that was a thorn in his flesh. Maybe he had really poor vision. Maybe it came from one of the beatings that he took near death. We, we don't know exactly what was the cause of it, but he had, he had a partner that was helping him write that. Celebrates a few different faithful men, obviously uh, his apprentice, if you will, Timothy, a number of the other ones. We don't necessarily know who they, they are, but here's, here's one thing I wanted to point out to you guys in, in verse 24. What does verse 24 say in your, your Bible there? Wait a second. Where's verse 24? Anybody have a Bible that doesn't have verse 24 in it? Yes, I got you guys to look at that. So here, let me, let me point that out. So if you have an older version, a little King James action, you might still have it. But newer manuscripts, when they uh, ha- have found older and older uh, copies of Scripture, they realize that that was a verse that was added, maybe as, a, as a, a, a greeting, but it's so redundant. Listen to what it was originally written in the King James the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's pretty controversial, right, you guys? You know when people talk about all the errors they find in Scripture? Do you see how controversial that is? No, it's redundant from verse 20 that says the exact same thing. So I love when you're in conversation with people and they have really know nothing about what they're talking about, and they say, well, what do, what do you do with all the errors in Scripture? Well, we're working through one of them right now. It's pretty, pretty serious, uh, pretty serious business here. So, it's some some manuscripts, some of the older have that same greeting, which is duplicated from verse twenty: "The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all." Amen. I'm okay with that. Uh, repeating that. So, either way, uh, just wanted to point that out in case you're studying along and wondering where that verse was at in your Bible. The big idea of this section, though is the idea that I wanted to point to, is that we learn from Paul that we're not trying to do this as a lone ranger. We're trying to do this as a community together following Jesus Christ. Last section, he leaves us with verse 25. We'll conclude with this. Little per- I just labeled it perspective. 
It says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings was been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Whoo, that's one big sentence. Like talk about anybody else do this when you're, you're traveling and you've got your suitcase packed and then you think, oh man, I forgot that. I might need a light spring coat, you know? And then you're, you're like, oh, but that other pair of shoes would also look nice with that outfit. And you start piling more and more stuff in. And before you know it, your, your suitcase is like just uh, booming up at the top. And then you show up at the gate and have to rip stuff out and put it in your personal bag. Anybody else do that before? <laughs> But, 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 uh, but, but here I get the sense that Paul is packing as he's, as he's trying to think how to bring this to conclusion. And what you, first off, you notice what he's bringing to conclusion. He's coming back to the gospel message. It's come full circle. He's given all kinds of practical advice and he's given all kinds of great input. But he's like, you know what? If I'm going to leave you one last thing that's going to give you strength, it's going to be about Jesus Christ. In summary, you can see it yourself there. He's saying you find our strength in the gospel message. It's the fulfillment of God's perfect plan pointed to by the prophets for hundreds of years. It was a plan that was a mystery for a really long time, but now it's been made known to all nations, and it's embraced only by faith. He explains the, the, the gospel as clearly one more time as he possibly can, saying this, this used to be, I think it's interesting that he describes this, it used to be a mystery, but now... It's crystal clear. Now it's been made known to all the nations. I wanted to end our time in Romans with this. Some of us have been maybe in and out, caught different pieces of Romans, but I would propose that at this point in the process, you can't say any longer that you don't know the gospel message anymore. We've looked at it from every single... It's no longer... You can't any longer say, it's a mystery, I don't really get it. Here it is if you, if you haven't had it explained to you. Jesus Christ chose to intervene on our behalf. You see, our sin had separated us from a perfect God. Came down, lived the perfect life as an example for us. Chose willingly to be taken and sacrificed on, our, on a cross for our sins. Embracing the sins of the world and then dying on this cruel Roman cross willingly. But not staying dead, as we're going to sing about in a moment. Rising again on the third day, having victory, providing the opportunity for us to have that relationship with God restored. And he's like, man, I've made it as doable as possible. People that are like, oh, God's an unjust God. I, I, I think of God must be like, what more do I have to do? I came down and lived a perfect life, died for you. What more do I have to do? But then what happens You've heard the expression before, there's evidence that demands a verdict. At some point, you have to come to a point in your life where you're like, i got to choose what I'm going to do with this message. I've got to make a decision whether I'm going to embrace it or say no thanks to it. And the truth is, by ignoring it, you're saying no thanks to it. So my hope is, just as we wrap up this morning, just to give the opportunity, one last invitation as we finish this wonderful just book on salvation, on the gospel. One more opportunity for people to choose what they're going to do with that gospel message. 
we started this uh, tradition a couple months ago, uh, given the opportunity, but I, I said it then, and I think it still makes sense, is I, I don't want us with heads bowed or eyes closed. I want us with eyes open and heads up to make that decision. If you have made that decision, maybe you can just join me in praying for maybe someone in the room that God's been tugging on, on their heart for a while. I want to give the opportunity for that person that's never made that choice. And if you can't point to a time that it's happened, it likely has not happened. I want to give the opportunity for that person to stand up and say, I'm in. Did it a couple times in the last couple months. It's been a powerful thing. You know what I've gotten, so I'm okay if nobody does, but man, it's awesome when a few people do make that decision where they embrace what Jesus Christ has extended freely to them. I like one pastor described it. He said, I think I've mentioned it before. He, he says, man, God's grace is the best dance you'll ever boogie to. And I was just like, I, I was like, man, that's the, the perfect description of this. And so I'm going to give just a few moments of, of quiet where if that's something that you're ready to make that decision, you can b- just boldly stand up and say, I'm in, I'm in. I'll be quiet and give you a couple moments to decide that. Imagine there might be some person in this room that's, man, their heart's beating right now, and they're like, Scott, get past this point, get past this point, because, man, he's been doing a tug of war on your heart, and he's just appealing to you, pleading with you. Gives us free will, gives us a choice what to do with you. Say, please, just embrace this free gift. I want to give just another couple moments, and we'll conclude with a song. God, we just thank you so much for this chance to be in your word this morning. I thank you so much that this offer that you've extended is a standing offer. That any person in any moment in their life, their 70, 80, 100 years, whatever you choose to give them, can call out to you, can bend their knee and say, I can't do this. I've fallen short. I can't fix myself. I embrace what you did on the cross. I accept that free gift. And I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life. I'm tired of fumbling the ball. Pray for any person in this room that still hasn't made that that choice, that they wouldn't keep putting it off. You say that you stand at the door and knock. Thank you, God, for this wonderful truth that we all have to, to hold and to pass on. I I pray that we would have a boldness even going into our our weeks to proclaim that to people, to share that awesome news of the offer that you've extended to us. Thank you for this book. I thank you for for Paul and being a a willing vessel that you use so mightily. I thank you for speaking through him. I, I thank you for these warnings about deceivers. I pray that our antennas would be up, that we wouldn't be naive and easily swayed by the philosophies of this world. Pray for us, God, even as I was thinking about making sure that we're encouraging and celebrating those we love, God. Pray that that might take root in somebody's heart and mind even this morning. Pray for us too, God, as we think of the 
Paul and doing this with a team, that we wouldn't choose to be a lone ranger in this. We'd choose to engage with, with others and participate and get off the sidelines and stop just being a, a, a casual Christian. Thank you for your grace and your patience with us in all of this. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that you sent to help us in all of this. Love you and praise you here this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. What a great song. Thank you guys for introducing us. I love that, that line of a borrowed tomb, a pretty cool picture for only for three days. Well, that's what we're celebrating this morning. Just a reminder, next week we're starting a new series working through the promises of God and some specific promises that speak to us in our lives today. I pray you have a wonderful week. God bless you. Enjoy some popcorn as you're leaving today.